Well, welcome in to uh, another podcast in the Edge Kingsland lockdown uh, life, and we are continuing our series talking about holiness with a W, and uh, and so we've been reflecting over the last few weeks on the nature of what it is to be human, what it is to be whole, this idea of harmony that sits at the very heart of a um, a Christian idea of of humanness itself. At last in the last session, we talked about embodiment and this idea of um, coming to terms with ourselves as integrated, whole, embodied beings. And what we want to talk about today is how that starts to connect us then to the wider relationship to the earth, to starting to think about sustainability, uh, connectedness to creation, and so on. To help me in that conversation, I'm joined by Sophie. Hello, Sophie. Hello. And Clint. Hi, Clint. Sure. And um, and so it's good. Good. I'm talking to two people here who I know uh, both take this topic seriously, who both uh, not just as an abstract idea, but as uh, something that impacts on the way they actually live their lives and their real lived experience, which is someone who tends to get stuck in my head a little bit from time to time. I really appreciate talking to people who are who are doing the work of translating this into action and, and thinking about what that looks like. So I'm looking forward to a conversation here uh, with these two wonderful people. So Sophie, I'm going to start with you and, and just ask really what what started you on this journey of living with this intentional relationship to the earth, starting to think about sustainability, starting to think about the way in which you live? How, how did that journey begin for you? I think I was really fortunate growing up in a home where there was just this connection that was kind of within our family sort of fabric. So my mum's a king gardener. My dad was um, a forester before he retired. So there was always this... Um, just responsibility of what you do when you're connected with the earth. Composting is just what you do with products that are organic. So um, things like that were quite normal in my life. So when I kind of came up against people where that was not normal, I really struggled with it. And so I um, went on quite a mission with my friends at school and trying to get my whole school recycling. So I was really quite obsessed with recycling in my teens because it was really the only thing at that point that I could sort of say, hey, this needs to look different mm -hmm. to what we're doing it. Mm. Um, and then when I went to uni, um, the kind of buzzword sustainability became really popular. And um, yeah, that's where I kind of wish that I'd maybe studied ecology or geography or renewable energies or something, all these things I didn't know existed. Hmm. Um, but I did textile design and then got really obsessed with climate change once I discovered that was a thing that was happening. Mm -hmm. um, but trying to always link it into the work that I was doing. So um, fortunately, and I honestly believe this was part of a um, the bigger picture of what, how God wanted me to um, journey was getting me over here to New Zealand on a um, initial work placement to work with an ethical textile company. So, I mean, if I'd, I don't know how I would have got here somewhere, but um, so then I worked with a Enviromark standard uh, ethical textile mill. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's just always been in my blood to try and kind of follow that journey and have that motivate me and what I do and the choices I make and the companies I choose to work with. 
So is that something then that, that's been kind of quite integrated for you, for you from your childhood, which is um, – mm. so you can see kind of the the effects of actually what happens to someone who's brought up within a context where a different set of values are kind of held and embraced in terms of how they actually come to impact the generation. Yeah, and I mean that's through. just a narrow piece as well because, mm. I mean, even then I think, oh, I wish I was someone who was encouraged to write letters to the government all the time or go to – protests or whatever mm. but that wasn't my story but you know those things would be really interesting and impactful in different ways of standing up for different sort mm. of elements of justice but I suppose in that small way that's the mm. bit that I've clung on to and carried on with um trying to integrate that in for the girls as well and just mm. this is this is how we treat the this is how we play our role in this system so in terms of your upbringing was it less was less activist focused and more just a, a general sense of connectedness to, to yeah, the earth. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. Uh, and has that then over time become for you more of a more of a passion in terms of trying to to agitate for change, if if you like, if that's the right word, or to you know like <laughs> that's to, a great word to describe to, um, me. <laughs> is that a good word to describe you? <laughs> yeah, I think I've latterly noticed in my. Um, I suppose in my own sort of personal growth journey and looking at why I am agitated about all these things and how that's how that kind of um, the framework or the, the Enneagram goggles that I see through, it's really obvious now that my personality is shaped by that. Mm. Needing to be better, needing to improve things, needing to do things the right way. Right. So <clears throat> that's kind of, I guess that looks like that for me because of my personality. Mm. So, um, yeah, and it's hard, I think, um, when you come up against resistance with that, whether it shapes you to push forward or makes you come apathetic. And I suppose that's right. kind of the trouble that we're in, yeah, in, in the system that we are in, that um, apathy is a huge part of why we we're not seeing the traction and the change mm. because people feel immobilized and I think that's one of the biggest things that I felt <clears throat> yeah that you ca- you're not going to make a huge difference so what do you even do mm. like why are you worrying about this little piece of paper and which bin mm. it should go in mm. when there's like colossal issues going on around the world mm. <laughs> yeah I think that that very much becomes an issue for people, right? Which is the the sense of in a in a world where people are often already feeling kind of overwhelmed with the stuff that's coming at them, uh, then looking at yes, this this the big the systemic nature of the challenges that we face in relation to mm. the state our environments in and all that kind of stuff um, does feel for people. I think often like ah, I mean, what can I even do? And so why mm. bother? And you know that that kind of thing. So um. Yeah, those do become some of the challenges that we face in terms of seeing wider spread change. And ironically, you know, the all of all of the people feeling that um, are a part of that system. Mm. And so those small changes, but all in some ways intersect. Um, yeah. And and so we find ourselves in this kind of spiral that 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 exacerbates the problem, perhaps. Um, Clint, let's jump to you and, and think about for you like the the start of was this something as well that's always been a value for you uh you know growing up or was this something that um emerged in your life at some point in terms of a value around sustainability and your connectedness to to the earth 
Yeah, it um, probably emerged um, over time. I think a lot of it was, I mean, I did have, or come from two generations who were farmers, and I wondered, listening to Sophie, where there is something when your, your whakapapa is connected to the earth in some way, shape or form, whether that there is something in that. But yeah, my um, grandparents on both sides were farmers. Um, and my grand, my father was a um, always had a vegetable garden, and so I learnt the um, probably more an art than a science from his perspective of growing vegetables um, in the backyard. So I think there was there's probably something within my um, my tupuna, I guess, that values the connection, I guess, mm. with um, the earth, but. <clears throat> I think it was more just the people that seemed to, I seem to connect with um, recycling. When you were talking about recycling, Sophie, that was the one thing um, that seemed to make a difference in, in the bigger scheme of things. And I remember going uh, when I was at Air New Zealand and they introduced recycling for everybody across the entire organisation. And it was such a big deal. Um, and But it just seemed so logical. Like it just seemed like, of, of course we should do this because it just actually makes sense. And so it just seemed to be this this real practical, logical solution to we take paper from, you know, we make um, paper from trees, so let's turn the, return the paper to where almost where it came from. You know, it just seemed such a logical solution. Mm. Um, and so it was very easy, I guess, for me to buy into it. Um, and I think one of, for me, one of the, um, I guess similar to Sophie in some respects, um, making a difference is quite a, a motivator for me. And if I feel like I'm making a difference in some way, shape or form, then it, 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 it drives me forward. Um, uh, interesting, that whole idea of oh, I'm just one person to me, I'm just like, but I'm just one person. So mm. if I do this, then it's going to, you know, it's going to be awesome. If we all do this, then it's going to make a huge difference. So I don't see it as a... Um, um, a demotivator. I see it as a motivator, mm. um, but that is a it, it, it is a challenge trying to see or influence other people to have that that mindset as well. But um, yeah, so but yeah, so I guess that's kind of where I um, have come from. But yeah, I think it's just funny how I don't know the journey you're on and the people you inter intersect with and. Um, over time, I just ended up being in conversations around how we can make our own cleaning products and, and how we can, um, you know, recycle differently and how we can um, stop the, the fast fashion uh, system. And, and I, it's not like I chose these things, but they just talking to people and um, being inspired by these in these conversations by these people. And I think there's something about being in those environments and in those communities that really fosters a sense of actually the future can look different. Um, and we can start to see a different type of future when we when we brush um, shoulders with these people, we have these types of conversations. And it definitely wasn't something I was looking for. It just kind of came, came along. And I remember um, Sophie is one of... Um, uh, my inspirations, and I've told her this before, but, um, you know, I remember with when she came to EDGE and she was, you know, an activist, 
within the church context and she really made me think about what what are we doing and how are we behaving within even within our community um, with the rubbish we create um, with what we um, with what we eat and, and how we behave and so little by little um, you know um, it seemed to change the way I thought but also really made me think actually actual change is possible um, which was quite exciting mm. so yeah so cool yeah that's really cool <clears throat> it's really cool to hear it on the other side that it actually makes a difference because mm. I just feel like a hippie on a soapbox <laughs> forever and ever and I think more latterly I've tried to look at how I um, present my opinions in a way that is inspiring rather than just always telling people off for doing the wrong thing <laughs> which is just yeah doesn't work um but it is exciting you're right because if you can <clears throat> find ways and i think we're so fortunate now that there's so many more companies where people have really mm. made an effort we do have a choice like i think you know 10 15 years ago it was quite hard to find those choices and even mm. direct people of where to go to be inspired but because there has yeah. been a movement of people who are not standing for it anymore and they're the ones who've set up these cool companies we now mm. get to live our life making these great decisions to support <clears throat> more ethical brands yeah you know just choosing who made it where has it come from what materials mm. is it used whether it's food or fabric or whatever it is, you can kind of yeah. look through that grid and make a decision on whether whether you're going to vote for it mm. or not. Uh, it's funny, um, Clint, you're talking about sort of what we were doing with our rubbish at church. I remember in my previous life when I was uh, working for a, I was working for a church, uh, a, a big church back in the day. So this was about 15 years ago. And, uh, and I was working in the area of the church that was concerned with kind of, I guess, the parts of church life that were thought to be community-oriented or, or sort of beyond the kind of running of the meetings and the pastoring and the discipleship stuff. So, uh, And we had someone um, send, uh, get in touch with us who had started coming to the church who said they wanted to talk about... Um, things like sustainability and where all the stuff from that, because it was a cafe in the church where all the, you know, where the, where the, was the stuff compostable and what was happening and, blah, 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 and wanting to talk about all of these things. And, and we all, um, I remember being in a meeting and we all looked around at each other and sort of went, what's, what's this all about? Um, and what's this got to do with church? Um, and <laughs> this complete, I just remember oh, sitting. my time. I just remember, yeah, like everyone looking around and sort of thinking this was to some degree kind of hilarious and also kind of befuddling, like I don't even know really what this person is talking about. Um, wow. So it's it's quite interesting. I think I think we have all come some way since then. Um Maybe not well, all. We must maybe, be because we're having all. this conversation. Well, we yes, it wasn't Edge, <laughs> yeah. I must say, the, the, the church that I was um, at. Um, yeah. But thinking about faith and kind of that side of things for a moment, for both of you, where does this intersect um, with your sense of faith, spirituality? Like Sophie, did you grow up in a religious home? Like, was this you know, were you a, was a Christian environment that you were brought loosely. up in? Or loose, loosely, yeah, mediocre. Me <laughs> And so, um, uh, yeah, we and so this has been something that's church, a, but there wasn't any, yeah, 
still. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is something that's that's evolved in your life over time, can, you know, can, kind of gathered steam over time. Uh, where has that intersected with kind of faith and spirituality for you along the way? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely would see that perspective, what you just said about that it's it seems so separate. Mm. Like it seems like this is actually almost, <clears throat> you know, greeny, hippie, way of living versus Christian way of living and so all the the angles that I tried to create an intersection for almost quite manually <clears throat> was looking at the um, effect it has on people mm. so um, and, and that is actually almost quite a big revelation when I first started Edge and this sense of um, the kind of the global community and the people that you affect those people are impacted by your ethical choices, whether it's people who are making product or whatever, or farmers or growers or, um, you know. So there becomes this humanitarian aspect that seems to get people on board a bit more with the sense of this is, you know, this is how Jesus called us to live. Mm. But more recently, I feel more at liberty to to say, look, I actually just, I actually just care about creation mm. and all the little tiny cells that make up the whole picture. I think looking at um, the links of um, Te Ao Māori and even other indigenous cultures, I'm reading this amazing book, if you can get your hands on it, um, called Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm -hmm. And it's about um, a botanist and she is... Um, in the states and her genealogy is linked to the indigenous people and she's really exploring how these values within our whole world connect us and connect people and even just <clears throat> even just treating creation as a as a whole living being and as um, what does she call it like animacy so if you treat a tree as a she then you're gonna do less harm than if you treat it as an it right and this sense of um the presence of christ that's in all the things even down to and this is actually even something more recent just um from listening to richard Rohr about how to love and we have to actually start with a rock it's very easy to love a person. It's very easy to love an animal. It's very easy to love a plant. But it's very hard to love a rock. <laughs> but if we can, if we can actually go there in kind of, I suppose, quite a contemplative journey. Because when I first heard that, I was like, what? <laughs> Even for me, that was a bit far-fetched. But now I'm like, oh, I'm starting to understand this. There's these just this links of where life is and where the imprint of the creator is in all things and even looking at how i just think i've missed the point on the verse of um even the stones will cry out i think they will because they're full of the life of god <laughs> like it's not the most absurd thing to think that all of creation is all crying out whether they're crying out in praise or whether they're crying out and saying come on guys <laughs> wake up we've been here the whole time that's so true so true. Um, Rufus, my little two-year-old, is uh, is big into kissing at the moment. He loves loves to kiss things, people, 
also characters in his books. Yes. Uh, and he's out for a walk this week, uh, and we go for a little walk down. There's a little trail around a around a lake, just down by our house uh, or near, down the road from our house. And uh, someone's painted on, on a lot of. They've kind of put rocks in um, with little painted images and things like that on them. Uh, so he was down. He was he kissed a couple of rocks this week as well. So there you go. Awesome. He's taken the love of rock thing. Yeah, he's running with it tree, already. Kiss a rock. He's he's in there. <laughs> he's in there with some uh, affection. Uh, and even that's actually something that just came up in this book about um, how children see the the world around us with this sense of um, I don't know, lack of a better word, personality, mm. and we kind of take that out of them. Like they'll say, you know, he or she to a creature like a bug or whatever they'll they'll treat it like another being mm. they'll 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 qualify everything as earthlings and all part of the same system so true and yeah. we teach them mm. a hierarchy mm. <clears throat> instead of the a whole system that we're all part of yeah it's so true um and even <laughs> one of the things that really struck me i think before rufus could talk uh, he, he had a little signal he had for when he wanted a song about something and um and he would point to things that he wanted a song about. Um, and he'd say, I a little signal for song. And then he'd want you to sing a song about whatever it was he was captivated by. And it was just all, I found it such an interesting experience because I'd have to make up songs on the spot about whatever it was he was pointing to. And I had my little ukulele. And he would just, <laughs> he would point to like the fence, you know, and say song. Or he'd point to a, to a rock or to, you know, to all of these. And to him, they were all alive with possibility um, yeah. and curious and amazing and interesting. Um, and for me, I'm like, oh, how do I make a song about a fence? Um, yeah, I love it. But, you know, there there is something insightful about that, that, yeah, that we kind of train out of them, isn't there? Um, Clint, what about for you in terms of kind of faith and, and spirituality and stuff? How does that intersect with this whole journey in your mind? Um, yeah, I guess uh, similar to Sophie in some respects. I think, um, you know, when we go back to the original um, Genesis story and, you know, Genesis 1, it talks about how... Um, human beings were created in the image of God. And then it says, um, and they were responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. And when I read that, I'm just like, gosh, that's that's our job. That's our, um, our uh, uh, mandate given from, from God, assuming we believe what was written in Genesis mm. and we take that seriously. Um, that that we are to be responsible for them and to and when I see the word responsible, I'm like, gosh, we need to look after them and we need to respect them and we need to ensure that they're okay and we need to um, honor them for the part they play um, within the the created cycle. And so for me, that is I find a deep sense of responsibility um, from a uh, for in my relationship with God um, and my relationship um, uh, with, you know, as a, as a human um, in humanity. And um, recently I have also, in connection with that, um, there's that passage in Matthew where um, they talk about the greatest commandment and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, ask Jesus what the greatest commandment is. And, and Jesus said, um, love the Lord your God with all your uh, heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second 
is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think for me, we've always um, taken that love your neighbor as yourself as fellow humans, but more and more I have translated that or more and more translating that to broader than just fellow hu humanity, but fellow creation in itself. And that the second commandment is to love creation and love this planet and love my fellow creatures and um, anything that God has created, to love that as if I would love myself. And it's um, and so again, I just feel that challenge for that. I have enough trouble loving humanity um, the way I love myself. But um, you know, uh, you know, as Sophie says, loving a rock is you know, it's it's part of who we are, and it's part of what Jesus I think is is asking us to think outside of ourselves to have a sense of manakitanga um, for everything that is living. Um, to, to, for us to give mana to it um, for, because creation is always giving its mana to us. It, it lives to bless us. It, 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 um, it, it exists to help us um, survive and flourish. And we've done a terrible job at ensuring that in a reciprocal sense. Um, and so I feel a deep sense of conviction and motivation and um, inspiration and love to ensure that, um, you know, I'm loving creation as I would love a neighbor um, from a human perspective. So, um, yeah, um, mm. I don't know. It's, it's good. It's beautiful. <laughs> That's where I'm going from. Yeah, um, and, you know, this beautiful sense of um, mutualism, you know, between mm. us and nature that it's not that nature doesn't exist for our benefit alone, that we exist for nature's benefit. Um, and it's just a, such a huge challenge in our culture. Mm. Um, how do we live to benefit nature? Um, mm. We don't even think that way, generally speaking. Um, and so... I mean, even thinking about ourselves as something other than nature, in the sense that like, like thinking about ourselves as something distinct from nature... Like itself is an interesting move that we've made, right? Mm. Which is that there's us and then there's nature, um, rather than the, the the fact that we are in fact, I don't know. If you got on a ship and went hung out in space and looked back at the Earth, like we're all a part of it, just like everything else. In that sense, you know, we we are we are nature. Mm. In that sense, yeah. um, that whole yes. ecosystem we're mm. all included. Mm. In a circle, not a triangle. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, okay, so let's 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 get practical then, and, and think in terms of like, what does this start to look like in our lives? Um, Sophie, let's come back to you. Um, <laughs> what are some of, What are some of the practical ways this takes shape for you in your life? Um, well, I think I think at the moment I feel like it is it is quite small. It is quite home base in some sense mm. because I think maybe if you're out in the workforce you potentially can make different waves in the decisions and sphere of influence I suppose my sphere of influence feels quite small but it's potentially quite powerful because it's maybe more of an influence on my children mm. so um obviously recycling <laughs> um the basics I think which we can all do quite easily um lowering our footprint our 
choice of what we buy and how how we contribute to that system so um plastic free shopping is one of my biggest goals lately um things like cloth nappies um trying to reduce our our um weekly waste so we use like one one bin bag maybe a month or six weeks which i'm hoping will be less once we don't have too many more nappies but um yeah making cleaning products um yeah thinking about stuff sometimes sometimes when i'm shopping for something i look at it and go is this going in a hole in the ground Mm. and then Mm -hmm. decide whether i'm going to buy it or not but um I think we could still go further with that and challenge the companies that are doing it because that's how we're seeing change into sort of compostable packaging mm. and the shifts that happen once once consumers start making a decision and voting with their wallet, then you see the shift of other companies coming up who are offering alternatives. Um, Ethique is a great brand that I use for my hair care. So my hair care is totally plastic free. Um those are just some really like simple, easy things that I think we, we can actually all do. Mm. Um, yeah, it's interesting mm. to think about that role of the consumer as well and in, in the system that we unavoidably live in, uh, in the sense that um, if we are just waiting for the kind of top-down change to come at some point, which, you know, we obviously ad- may advocate for and, and so on, um, but there is the very real... Um, way in which as individual consumers when we start acting in certain ways towards companies that we purchase from actually starts to shape the wider system um, mm. in, in some quite profound ways and we are seeing that I yeah. think in terms of the kinds of businesses that are emerging who are taking this more yeah. seriously. Mm. And even like signing petitions so joining things like some of us and just sticking your name on a signature towards like deforestation you know like mm. It seems like a drop in a bucket, but it's, you know, it takes you 30 seconds. But if 10,000 people spend 30 seconds doing that, we can start to see traction. Mm-hmm. And it feels like those things are really far out of reach. But even just stuff like that, as I go around the supermarket, I'll check if something's got palm oil in it, if I can. Because mm. ironically, we're, you know, we're living mostly plant-based. <laughs> palm oil is a vegan product. I don't know the irony that sits in that. It's just mm. completely destroying habitats. Right. But um, yeah, just really simple things like that that we can that we can do. Mm. Um, and even um, yeah, the 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 business like you're saying the businesses that we support, like the businesses I've chosen to work for, whether that's organic and the supply chains, I actually know that you know the people that are benefiting from not having pesticides in their cooperative farms. Like we know that we're getting water to remote villages. You know, these things are happening Mm. by the choices. We can actually be humanitarian, in inverted commas, in our choice of ethical products that support, you know, the whole whole system, the whole picture that support people, but also support the planet. Mm. When you take pesticides out, you're not just supporting the ecosystem in terms of the water, but you are supporting the families and villages that use the, the water and the system. Right. And, uh, mm. 
And then you're helping yourself because you're not having something that's got pesticides mm. in it and your whole body and your whole system. So it really is both sides of the, the coin, really. Mm. Mm. In terms of some of the um, like very real challenges or obstacles that you find to like making these choices, do you, do you bump into those along the way, like for yourself? Because sometimes someone maybe who's, who's not um, necessarily uh, in a place of having embraced these kinds of decisions in their day-to-day lives can can kind of look at people who do and think, oh, well, they seem to be able to do it, but I can't, or whatever, or I, it's too hard for me. I don't know. There there are lots of things that go through our mind when we're when we're yeah. confronted with those decisions in the moment. Like, do you do you find any of those decisions still difficult, or do you find there are challenges around? You know, I don't know convenience. You know, you're a mum yeah. of you're a mum of two little kids that I'm sure keep you somewhat busy. Uh, <laughs> You know, how do you, how do you deal with with these decisions in the midst of of that kind of life? Yeah, oh, I'm definitely not a purist, mm. but ninety um, percent there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just um, I just some things I'm like, okay, I can't do anything about this right now. But some things are just non-negotiable. Like I literally won't buy bananas if there's not fair trade bananas there. Mm. I'm not okay with that similar with chocolate it's really hard to find chocolate that's fair trade (laughs) once you once you open your eyes once you know something and i'm sure there's verses about this but i can't quote them off the top of my head (laughs) like once you've seen something you can't unsee it you can't unknow and you can't um yeah yeah it is a challenge um and i appreciate that there's all sorts of roadblocks Hmm. and um yeah financial as well but I guess yeah maybe that's um where you sort of can make decisions in some areas like there's the dirty dozen so if you can't afford to do all organic then you choose the products that you eat the most or that are Mm. the most toxic so there's little ways where you could just um choose one thing a month where you're like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna make a shift to Mm. this particular thing I'm gonna change my I'm going to finally get a keep up, you know, things like that. I don't really drink coffee, but that's a big thing for some people. Um, I'm going to actually change my hair care and give this a try, or I'm going to buy fair trade bananas. You know, like it's, mm. you could just change one, one, if you committed to one thing a month, then by the end of the year, you've, you've made some really big, big changes. Mm. I remember I when I'm oh, um, sorry, Clint. Yeah, you go. Just, um, on that note, Sophie, what, that's something that I've discovered is that when I've decided I'm, I'm going to change in this, it has a snowball effect on other areas of my life. And so if I start with um, bananas, shall we, as an example, um, and then when you, when you decide that there's something, I've discovered there's something within me because you've made a stand or a com- you've, there's a conviction that you've applied to your life, it, it seems to then snowball or impact other decisions over time that you make and um uh for me actually it wasn't bananas it was actually fish that was the starting point mm. for me and i said no more fish um fish is not a sustainable commodity i don't care what anyone says it's just not sustainable um, it's from atrocious and so <laughs> i so I, anyway, I just, I said, no, that's it. I'm not stopping. And then there was something in that moment um, when, I, when I made that decision 
and it had an impact on my life and my family because I don't live in isolation, you know. Um, mm. And but that seemed to be, you know, making that one decision then led me to make other decisions over time uh, that slowly um, changed the way, changed my diet, changed my shopping behaviour. And so it wasn't like, I think sometimes people can be over, um, you know, um, overawed by the, I've got to change, make all these changes and I've got to do all of this thing um, and feel the guilt, I guess, some you know in some instances of having to make all these changes so because it all looks too big they don't do anything um mm. because it's too overwhelming uh but you just i just started with one thing and and just see what happens from them and um from my experience it, it kind of evolved from from one decision after another after another um uh so yeah that would and i think for me too just live it trying or um, endeavouring to live simplistically um, and not, I think we try and maintain a, a lifestyle that living sustainably and having a quite a complex consumerism, Western lifestyle, the two aren't very compatible. Um, and so I've discovered that living more simplistically or choosing to live simplistically actually makes living sustainably a lot easier. Um, from that perspective um, as well. And it's less complicated um, and it's financially doable. Um, mm. Just not spending um, or feeling the need to spend as much as you as you perhaps would. Um, yeah. And so that's what I've found has been helpful um, because money is, you know, is a big determining factor um, when you've got families to feed and, you know, that kind of thing. Um but trying to keep it simple um, and manageable, um, as you say, Sophie, is, is, is a great way to engage. Yeah. I and I suppose at the beginning, it becomes quite intentional with something that you're shifting. And then it's like something in your spirit begins to shift and join with something that's happening. And like yeah. you're saying, it then it does snowball. I, I just had this weird image of like a spinning top where you spin it up and then it gets this like big momentum but that beginning mm -hmm. bit is actually quite hard work like those old school spinning tops and mm -hmm. it's like a rubber band just twisting up inside like I'm gonna make a tiny little change a tiny little change and then it's suddenly like wow look at this massive shift and um yeah I was gonna say actually our um I think we spend less on groceries because I buy so much from like bin in um even with like getting all the fair trade and organic options, it's, it's actually cheaper than the, the average New Zealand weekly shop. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, no, I just think that once you're in in that sort of mode, you know, you do notice things more, and you realise that you're the difference you're making is is worth it. And then, you know, it, it affects your, it drip feeds into your family and then it, into people around you and in conversations and then you bump into other people. Mm. And even things like Karina will look at the bananas when we're in the supermarket and she'll go, have they got our bananas? Like, because she knows. Mm. <laughs> if they haven't, I'm not buying them. <laughs> and she'll like 
check every time I give her something. She's like, is this plant meat? <laughs> <laughs> so there's things that I'm probably, I'm probably going to get into trouble for indoctrinating my children. But at the same time, I'm, I'm giving them different, different language and different, yeah, different yeah. things to think about perhaps. It's um, with bananas, which was probably one of, you know, and I'm not as far down the track in terms of practical application. I'm willing enough to say that as, as you both are. Um, but bananas was one of the first things that was that for me. And my way of doing it for myself was by renaming, because I ended up reading about bananas and and kind of, you know, the slavery that, that was involved in some of the systems of those bananas coming to us. So I just started calling normal, like non-fair trade bananas, slavery bananas. <laughs> as a way mm. of telling, like reminding myself what the real cost of this thing was that I was just yeah. whooping into my trolley, you know. Yeah. So when I'd go to the supermarket then and there's no fair trade bananas, normally I'd be like, oh, well, I'll just get some regular ones. But if I have to be like, oh, well, I'll get some slavery bananas then. <laughs> and that name <laughs> so really good. stuck with me. I still call them slavery bananas, you know. Um, yeah. and, so, and even when I get home from the shop, because I do all the shopping, supermarket shopping, Hannah will be like, Sometimes if I come home with no bananas, you'll be like, oh, do they only have slavery bananas? You know? uh, <laughs> but for us, it's just a very simple like terminology thing, but that brought home like the real situation that was actually in front. Because I think the, the real impact is so often kind of invisible to us because it's out mm. there somewhere and all we've got right in front of us is this thing that surely this isn't that big of a deal, you know? Uh, so it was a way for me of being able to... Um, kind of confront myself with the reality of the cost of a particular decision that I was making. That's great. Can you do it with meat? <laughs> it's a great question, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> Look, oh. let's have that conversation offline. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a con you know, these are, these are confronting questions for us. And I think one of the, Challenges, you know, um, in we, we talked about, I talked with this, uh, with Rod about this in the in the last episode around embodiment was how kind of modern consumerism is connected both to our sense of alienation from our own bodies and the sense that our bodies just become producers and consumers and that's how we understand them. They're this almost this thing that's as, as expendable as everything else in many respects, and also alienates us from uh, the cost of our decision making. Um, and prioritizes this ongoing kind of rabid consumption of everything. Um, and so, you know, all of these things are interconnected and kind of relate to each other. So these are important questions to ask ourselves and to, to be challenged by. Yes. So thank you. Um, you've mentioned your kids a couple of times, Sophie. How, how do you see this? kind? Of, you, now, we were messaging this week and you said you were um, getting them to stand out in the rain. Tell me about that. <laughs> Is, were you punished? Um, no, you weren't punishing them. No. That, that, see, well, that could have um, been construed as like you know, yeah. you're punishing your child, making them stand out in the rain. Yeah, yeah. It's um, well, in the morning I try and get them. Maya's the only one who's agreeing to this at the moment. <laughs> you know, has opinions now. <clears throat> um, to try and get our feet on the ground, our bare mm. feet. I mean, they walk around bare feet all day, but I have my slippers on. But I try and get my feet in the mud, and um, on the grass first thing in the morning I've been trying to establish some morning practices some sort of meditations and affirmations and things and I just spend 30 seconds <clears throat> looking at the sunrise and doing that and um 
just being a little bit more intentional and practical with my sense of that presence in that moment because the mm. rest of the day is a blur mm. so um pick some flowers you know like sort of engage with the earth um and yeah then it started to rain and so rather than just going oh quick run inside i was like let's just feel the rain on our skin for a minute like it's nice mm. like what does it feel like yeah and what does it feel like on your head? And, and you know, she'll point to all her, you know, like, yes, dose. And, you know, just mm. acknowledging that those things aren't something to necessarily run away from an inconvenience, but mm. to be present in that just little glorious moment of, of what creation is. That's kind of beautiful. That's awesome. Mm. That's awesome. Um, okay, let's... Um, as a way of bringing this to a close, Clint, did you have anything else practical, like in terms of practices for you, uh, that you wanted to mention that you haven't already? Do you? No, no. I think um, that was a good one, Sophie. Yeah, no, that's a, that's nice a nice one. that's a nice place to finish. Maybe this week we can all go stand out in the rain for a minute and see how it feels. I think we'll probably have ample opportunity the way the weather's been. So, <laughs> just watch out for the hail. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, Rufus wasn't so keen to go and stand in the hail this week, um, but we did put our hand out the door. <laughs> and a but, minute um, isn't um, incredibly inconvenient, so, you know. Yeah. Hmm. So thank you both for a great conversation. Really appreciate it. There's so much in there to contemplate, to think about, to uh, act upon. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Pleasure.